Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're back. And we're back. With another episode of the Bros and Brews podcast. Uh, We're back with another topic episode. It is season three, episode five. uh, Coming hot off the heels, well... I guess not that hot off the heels, but following on from our episode four of season three, which was all about takeaways, fast food, mm. the the joys of, of level three, which uh, as of less than 48 hours ago, Matt was uh, was allowed to uh, enjoy. But we, we won't dive too much into that. That's in the past. You can obviously still listen to it. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. But today's topic is on something completely different. Uh Matt and I were having a little discussion a couple of weeks ago about what were some some holes and and areas of topics that we we haven't talked about bits that we've missed uh, and obviously one aspect that's very topical uh, within I guess society generally in, in these COVID nineteen times is the concept of emergency services and I guess following on from that uh, public servants uh, obviously lots of lots of focus put on uh, healthcare workers both in New Zealand and internationally who you know we're lucky to have and those those people the frontline workers have been the the ones that have been keep, keeping everyone safe and without healthcare workers we would be absolutely buggered um and that has kind of led us towards this this idea for a, a public service series it's going to be three episodes looking at three very uh different groups of public servants uh their roles within society how people end up in those lines of work and i guess just matt and i uh talking a little bit about what we think about those those kind of public services how they're portrayed in the media how how they've i guess developed over time the differences to those public servants in new zealand and overseas uh and without further ado the the first of the three episodes which is what you're going to be listening to, to today is the episode that we've dubbed uh the protectors the protectors <laughs> uh who we've we've assigned uh, to this group are the police, uh, defence force personnel, firefighters, security, and uh, civil. What's the, what's the word? Civil response. Civil defence. Civil defence. Civil defence. Yep. Uh, of course, there's there's lots of crossover between these these different groups. We're not trying to put them in really specific bubbles and say stay there, but and and an attempt to kind of break this down. Uh, those are the people we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the protectors, if you will, and their roles within society. Um, over to you, man. I've monologued. <laughs> You've sat there very patiently, trying to get a, a word in if you can. Uh, the protectors. What what comes to mind uh, uh, with with how we how we think about those specific people within within public service generally? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think you said the word before, and and for me, it's it's safety. You know, it, it, it's safety for me with these with these people, and they've all got a different uh, a different role in that sense. You know, police is very much uh, you know uh, streets and patrolling, and you know, obviously more than that. But that's how I kind of categorize it. Firefighters is obviously with your fire and emergency and things like that. Security, uh, we had a little bit of discussion with security in the sense of you know, is it really like you know kind of public workers kind of thing? They're kind of contractors, but for me in the sense of they are still protecting something in that sense so did kind of want to you know give them that shout out in the, in the sense of that um yeah civil defense is your emergency response you know in the sense of everything that's happening with the climate and you know earthquakes and tsunamis all of that that's where your civil defense comes in and then defense forces you know can be you know nationally but also a lot of international safety as well so yeah for me i think when it comes to protecting it it is very much the the safety of us you know civilians and humanity in 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 itself um in in the sense of just our our livelihoods 
I guess, and just yeah. making sure that yeah, that everything is is <laughs> that we're okay in in that sense. Taking away from, as you said before, you know, the health aspect of it, um, just kind of keep keeping the peace, I guess. Yeah, they also very different functions, but I think protection and safety are the kind of key words, right? Um, in terms of the the roles that protectors within our society and protectors that are employed by the state to uh, look after its citizens is like, I imagine one of the oldest concepts within organized society. I mean, police is probably a new word for it, but if you look back through ancient civilizations, certainly uh, armed forces uh, Hmm. pretty much all the way through, you know, the ancient Greeks and the Romans and Vikings, that that concept of uh, armed forces, the warriors Hmm. has been around like forever. Um, Maybe the concept of, of a domestic police force is slightly newer. Um, I looked up, just recently while you were talking actually uh wikipedia the the great source of all truth amazing informs me that the first centrally organized and uniformed police force was created by the government of king louis the 15th uh no king louis the 14th sorry in 1667 to police the city the city of paris so Hmm. 1600s as i guess the first time that uh a police force and specifically says to police the city of Paris. And I guess that is the, the key difference, right? Yeah. Police serve the function of, uh, internal safety and protection, mm. whereas defense force, which maybe we'll get to a little bit later on serves a, a slightly different function. And of course, firefighters and, and, uh, the other, the groups we've mentioned serve different purposes. I think we should start with police because as I was saying to Matt before, police forces generally, and I guess the the function that they serve within society, uh, the the allowances made to police, the I guess the villainization of police has been really at, at the the forefront of public discussion over the, the last few years. Of course, uh, actions of police forces in America and the protests that have come from that have obviously been a global discussion obviously in Aotearoa there have been similar discussions about you know do we want the police to have guns do we not want them to have guns what is mm. what is too far corruption within the police racism within the police and a kind of ideological battle between you know are police uh fundamentally people that do good for our society or are they fundamentally not people that do good for our society now we're not going to like try and make it black and white like that because i think we're both people that think all of these all of these groups and all the groups that we aren't talking about within this series you know artists lawyers bankers (laughs) teachers whatever you know there's no such thing as a good group and a bad group but police in particular has been a group that has i feel like come under particular scrutiny over the last few years Mm. both internationally and domestically um and it's been good for us to actually dive in and do a bit of research so you know how many police officers are there in new zealand how much do police officers here make you know how does that compare to the u.s um yeah i guess your relationship um with police how have you felt over the last few years with how the political discussions around the police, particularly in the United States, have transferred to New Zealand uh, and your experiences with police here. I mean, I don't know. Do you have friends in the in the police? Has it ever been a profession that you would consider being involved in? Anything police specific? I'm, I'm interested to hear your relationship with them because I don't think this is something that we've really ever talked about, to be honest. No, 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 it's not. I, I mean, yeah, to start off, for me, I mean, I, I haven't got, like, a massive affiliation with, with police and things like that. And and I know, obviously, you know, I, I say that down to kind of, like, my, my demographic in that sense. You know, I think, as you said before, you know, with police and stuff, and especially overseas, and you see, obviously, certain demographics uh, are obviously policed 
more whether that is the case or you know obviously what's going on in communities and things like that for me I really haven't had a lot of involvement with the police so I guess for me I've always been I, I haven't I haven't seen what's going on you know you only really hear what's on the news and things like that um, so for me yeah I don't have a big affiliation with them but uh, look I you know I did say I did have a run-in with the police when I was younger you know throwing the old smoke bombs on the road got my name got put in a little in a little book um, and that was the last of it. Uh, didn't, didn't hear from that anymore. I was young. I was stupid. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, p- police is obviously it's all about you know disturbances, right? They're they're responding to disturbances and and things like that. And I think, I mean, me personally, I think we've got it pretty good. in this time, you know, I only think back to there's a current show on um, at the moment in New Zealand called The Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, is obviously looking at the Polynesian Panthers here in New Zealand and talking about the dawn raids that happened here in New Zealand on how, you know, that community was trying to be driven out um, by politicians and leaders and the police. And, yeah, the police were a part of that and, you know, having to raid this community to to get them out of New Zealand. And I think we're, you know, what you said before uh, – with a, a lot of the problem is is that it's a, it's a systemic you know a, a lot of the problems that we have in our forces and things are systemic they've they've come from a, a lot of bad history uh and i think that's the problem with you know you look at countries like the u.s and things a, a lot of their problems have come from a very bad history so it's how are we going forward meant to just you know educate and and things like that because I think that's just it I think it's just it's the education and, and you know the welfare of the people I think unfortunately like I said before you see certain demographics probably get the brute force of it because that's just where where they are in their lives that it just seems to all be happening you know there is a thing as, as privilege um, so you don't get the big end of it unless you have like a phone call from a Karen or something, you know, or something going on in the streets. But yeah, I, I think police have it hard for sure. You know, I think that's what I'm trying to get. The police have a, have a hard job to do. And I think in New Zealand, I think we're doing a really good job and a lot of changes happened over the past few years. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the big talk and you were talking about guns and things like that. I think there is a way of, especially here in New Zealand, we can police without any of that, you know? Um, what do they say? The, you know, to not not escalate the situation. And guns escalate situations. And I think with right education and, and you know, the right training, you can get through to people uh, on a level without having to be uh, aggressive. Uh, and, you know, that confronting, because I think that's a lot of the problem when you have a lot of fight back with police is it's it's a lot of fear and, and, and anger and things like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's my long-winded answer for my relationship and thoughts on police. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to round it all up, for me, I've, yeah, and this is me personally with my experiences, I've never had a problem with the police or looking at the police. I look at them and I feel like, yeah, they're, they're doing their job. That's, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. And it's as you said at, at the start, we can only view uh any service like the police through the lens of our own personal experience having said that it is clear that everyone's individual experience is completely different and i'm yeah i'm similar to you like my relationship with the police uh on a one-to-one level has been limited to things that have related to driving um one story i'll tell later on um <laughs> I guess like noise control and then mm, police true. in public space, which is like a, com- a massively privileged life experience of police through almost yeah. 26 years to never have had a, an experience where I've been targeted by police unfairly. Uh, I've been discriminated against by police and that I'm sure that is the case. And I've, I know for a fact that is a case for people uh, in Wellington and Aotearoa and in mm-hmm. New Zealand generally. So mm. on the one hand, we can say that we see the value that police serve to society. Um, their uh, motto, the New Zealand police motto, is safer communities together. You can believe that that is uh, a- accurate and that the police do more good than harm. 
um, but also see that there are massive systemic issues uh, in how police fundamentally target uh, certain people of certain ethnicities more, certain areas of the country are policed more. Um, mm. One thing that I've noticed literally within the last few months is seeing police cars go up uh, my road in Hatai. And the fact that I have thought, oh, that's strange. I've never seen a cop car here before. Just shows the privilege of like living in the suburb that I live in, within the city that I live in. The fact that it seems abnormal shows mm. that my mm. experience with the police is massively privileged in the fact that I don't interact with them that often. Um, I don't... I think I know... I definitely know a couple of people who are uh, in the police force. I don't have any really close friends that are police officers or involved, employed by by police. But I'm sure it's it's the kind of community that uh, all all it would take would be to have one friend who's a police officer and hear their side of things. Um, One thing I did want to read out was, I guess, a definition of policing, which I found interesting. Um, Police typically are responsible for maintaining public order and safety, enforcing the law, preventing, detecting, and investigating criminal activities. These functions are known as policing. I think that applies to sort of policing generally. Um, In New Zealand, police officers, I think, do 16 weeks training. Um, In terms of the salary, uh, I think it starts at around $45,000 a year. Uh, Graduate police officers... $61,000 $61,000 and then moving up to sort of 68000 to 129000 depending on your, your experience. Um, that's in, in New Zealand specifically. And obviously New Zealand's police force is, it is fundamentally different than uh, international police officers. Like yeah. having lived in America, I have experienced, you know, walking around police officers with massive guns and that it just completely different than the experience in New Zealand like putting aside um more harmful policing the way that we interact with police in a general public sphere and when I say we I mean police that are in public spaces in Wellington is objectively more friendly than what I've experienced internationally the whole like taking pictures with cops in Courtney Place (laughs) having those kind of interactions would never ever happen in America. Like it would would just, it would never happen. Um, And yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because police, I think are so specifically within the last few years have been so grouped as like a singular force, right? Like this concept Mm. of if you're a police officer, you're part of the police and you're part of the problem. Um, And we just know that like, Society doesn't work that way. You, yeah. You're not uh, problematic as an individual simply because you're part of an institution that might have have problems. But that being said, like people, I think always remember the negative experiences that they have with uh, with uh, people like cops. Then they would remember positive experiences. And even in my privileged life and limited engagements with police, like all I can remember for the most part, is like a really, really, well, not, not really bad, but the one bad experience I had with him. And as I said before, that was just a driving thing. And it's the only time in my life that I've had like a, a driving ticket. And I know that this probably sounds completely outrageous and surface level compared to people who have been discriminated against by police. By no means am I saying that this is like meaningful or impactful because it wasn't. But I think it's a story worth telling because it has never gone away in my brain as how I view police. Mm. Um, and so it was in my first year of, maybe it was second year of university. And my girlfriend at the time had gone to hospital and I was visiting her in hospital in Wellington for, a, uh, she was having a surgery or something. And when I parked the car at the hospital, it was light outside. And then when I came out of the car park uh the the sun had gone down but i didn't realize it straight away because the car park that i pulled out out of was like an underground car park and you know if you go to an underground car park it looks the same during the day or during the night it's just dark with the artificial lighting anyway Mm -hmm. so i kind of pulled out of the underground car park pulled into 
uh, Adelaide Road and immediately was uh, like sirened by a, by a police car. And I was pretty, I don't know if I was on my restrictor or my full, but hadn't been on my license for that long and had that kind of adrenaline panic. I was like, oh shit, this has never oh, happened no. before. I need to pull over, whatever. And on this specific street in Adelaide Road, there is on the left-hand side a, uh, a lane of parking, which I remember was completely full of cars. And so I couldn't really pull in anywhere. So I kind of went to the next road to turn left to pull into, to have somewhere to pull in because my only other option was to like double park on a busy road. And I was like, well, that's obviously not the right thing to do. And so I pulled into the street, uh, like stopped the car, turned the engine off, whatever. And, uh, you know, heart beating, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And this, this cop who was probably like forties, fifties, white male, just came over and gave me like the hardest time. And he's like, why weren't you driving with your lights on? And I knew there's no point like arguing, but I gave my reason, like saying that I'd gone and came out and didn't realize that it was dark because it hadn't been before. And then on top of that, he like absolutely gave me the hardest time about like not pulling over straight away. He's like, I can't remember what he said because five years ago, but he's something along the lines of like, I could get you arrested for evading police. And I was like 18 years old mm. and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what are you actually talking about? There's no way that I could have short of like stopping in the middle of like a 50 K street. I've obviously done the right thing. To start with what you're pulling me over for is just completely ridiculous. At the time I was like, okay, I'll cop $150 fine. Since talking to people years later, I don't know anyone who's ever been given a hundred dollar 50 like ticket for not having their lights on like normally someone just pull you over and say hey did you know your lights aren't on like turn them on so that was ridiculous to start with and then the fact that like basically this police officer sort of threatened me with arrest for not pulling over properly and it's it's never disappeared in my mind like i've always now harbored resentment against that specific person and i now realize like years on reflecting on it and people have told me they've been like that person just had to get a certain number of tickets in that yeah, day because exactly. they have a quota that they have to fill yeah. but it's never gone away and that was something so small and like being in a situation where it was just 150 dollars you know it wasn't a criminal conviction or anything just thinking about that makes me realize no wonder people have such strong sentiment against police because of I still harbor resentment based on that tiny thing. Of course, people who have been treated way, way worse than that will feel way, way more aggrieved. And so if anyone ever has anti-police sentiment, I find it really hard to disagree with them because like I can, I can think that there are good police officers and people that are completely fine and go about policing in the right way and serve the community. And of course, if your house was being burgled, you would want the police to arrive. You would want police to help you if you were ever in a situation where you needed that kind of assistance. But I really, really struggle to kind of fight on behalf of police. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's never, it's never gone away that, that feeling of just being like you just so condescending and that abuse of power in something that was just really, really minor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, there's, it's like, there's good cops and there's bad cops. And I'm not saying that this guy was a bad cop, but he was at least being a petty cop. You know, it was just very unnecessary. And I think, like you said before, I think it's quite easy for people to look at a bad situation with cops and be like, ah, police are crap, police are shit. But it's like, but they're not. They're, they're, like you said just before, there are good cops, you know, and there are, there are, there are police officers that are really doing their job and doing the best that they can do for their community. But I think, unfortunately, like you said before, it's so easy for media and for us as individuals to focus on negative stuff more than we do with the positive stuff as well so yeah uh, i think i mean it's i think it's hard to be a cop man i think it's hard to be a police officer because of all of the stuff that 
you just have to you have to put up with the things that you have to see the things that you have to do as well um i mean i'm sure there's uh, you know enjoyable parts of the job but at the end of the day you you are really there to just make sure that people are doing the right thing to a certain degree obviously you know you need to drive with your lights on but you don't need to do it like that um but yeah i i, I yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's hard I think some places obviously get it better than others. Um, but I think, like you know, I think it comes down to the training and, you know, a big discussion, obviously, with what has happened over the past few years with policing, especially in the US and things, um, is exactly that training. You said before New Zealand, it has, it's 16 weeks um, at Academy and then they do about a two-year just kind of like ride-along police work um, to make sure they're up to standard. And they also do a 12 week uni, like long distance learning course as well. So, you know, there's a lot of different steps to kind of get to, uh, all right, you're a cop, here's your own car, you know, go do police work kind of thing. Whereas you compare that to the U S now, I think this starts the, the problem with the U S is that there's looking before there's over 18,000 different police departments in the U S and all of those departments kind of run their own way. You know, yeah. states run differently to different states and all of this kind of stuff. So their training is anywhere from 10 to 36 weeks. Um, and then they only have a ride along for six months. And then in some states, once you've done those 10 weeks of training, you get a gun. And that's the difference in level of the policing and things that I think is going over there in the sense of the training. And I think that's a lot of the problems that people have had in the sense of a lot of these rocky cops that have been making mistakes is because they don't have the right training in place. They think after 10 weeks or whatever, how many weeks of policing that they can really kind of rule and do whatever they want, just even as rocky cops. And that's what I've seen a lot of the media representation and, and, you know, feel. Of, of, of what has happened and it has happened so I think yeah I, I think with a lot of these different you know problems that can be solved with the policing it just starts at the beginning of the training um, you know uh, this is kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty of it all but you know psych evaluations as well you know what kind of people are we actually bringing into our poli- police departments and police force and things and you know agendas and stuff it, it might be minute and obviously you know getting into the nitty-gritty of us as humans and humanity but if these people are going to be doing the intense stuff that they're doing you know we do need to make sure that we have the best people for the job and you know the best well-minded people um that aren't going in with certain agendas and certain you know systemic feelings towards stuff um so yeah uh, like i said i think you know to cap that it's it's not an easy job it's not an easy job and i think it's pretty difficult to become a police officer and in New Zealand, if I remember conversations I'd had uh, with people not recently, but certainly since finishing secondary school, I think anyone that I talked to about becoming a police officer, they'd spoken about how difficult it is. Mm. Um, and I've been out to the police college in Porirua a few times yeah, over the last the last year, um, doing exercises with emergency response team there, mm. uh, being an actor role playing in those situations and. The people are always very welcoming and and friendly to the extent of how any particular individual can be friendly. Um, I must admit, yeah, the few times I've pulled into into the police college in Porirua, I've always felt a little bit nervous. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's so many police around, and and what does that say about? me is it how i feel about the police specifically or is that a natural human instinct to pull into a place like that uh and feel you know i guess intimidated Mm. um yes i've enjoyed working with the the police and on an individual level the people that i've worked with have been nothing like short of i guess professional and, and friendly to me as an actor in that specific circumstance um but yeah it's as far as i can understand I should say I did reach out to someone who I know uh, works within the police department in New Zealand and unfortunately didn't have time to speak to them before we came on and recorded this. But I think people that sign up to become police officers deserve to be commended. I Mm. think by by a significant margin, the majority of people that become police officers 
do so because they want to serve their communities, they want to look after people, they want to protect people, and they're invested in uh, New Zealand domestic safety, regardless yeah. of what sort of line of police work you go down. Saying that someone works for police isn't as simple as being like, oh, they're driving a police car and like patrolling the streets. Like the police department is obviously so much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to talk about them because it's so unfair to speak about individuals compared to a police department as as a whole you know yeah should new zealand police have guns if you think no strongly it doesn't mean you're against any specific uh police office that you come across ever and i'm completely cognizant of the fact that this is all through a lens of our specific uh, interactions with the police, the interactions that our families have had police, that friends have had with police. Um, and, you know, all it takes is hearing a few stories from people our age that have been treated incredibly unjustly by police for you to jump on the, like, anti-police, I don't want to say bandwagon, but but have, have those sentiments. Yeah. Um, it is going to be interesting to see what change continues to roll out with policing both in New Zealand and internationally over um, the the next few years. And I I guess just the way that the police force is perceived, how significantly that can or will change, or or is it always just going to be one of the sort of public services that people view in in a negative light because for the most part the majority of people's interactions or or view of police is in situations where people are being arrested or fined or taken into custody rather than like the police helping you out i think that is uh, that's a massive statement to say but i think that's probably what people view police view police uh through like that lens more um In comparison, the defence force uh, or, or defence personnel generally, I think, is a complete like it's a completely different kettle of fish. It feels oh, yeah. like a similar, a similar kind of. I don't want to say group of people because that that's not fair. But they are they're protectors. That's why we've we've put them together. But when I think of New Zealand's defence force compared to defence forces internationally in comparison to New Zealand's police force compared to police forces internationally, it feels uh, completely different. Um, Off the top, defence force personnel in New Zealand versus international, the way that defence force, uh, army, navy, air force, world history of of wars and New Zealand's involvement, all, all that stuff, how does that compare in your mindset, say, compared to police? Um, well, I mean, I think it's just that uh, for me, I think obviously with when you start involving war and things like that, I think there's just, it's that kind of notation that there's a lot more glory behind it, you know, like it's, it's a little bit more glorified in the sense of, um, you know, going to war and fighting for your country and, you know, defending your country from, you know, outside invaders and, and going overseas and, you know, involving yourself in a different war and stuff. There's just a little bit more glory to it. But for me, I I don't really, you know, this is kind of closed-minded of me, but I don't really care what's going on overseas. I care about what's going on here at home, you know. My first thought when it comes to you know, the army and the navy and the air force and stuff, and would I ever be a part of it or would I ever go to war? My answer is yes, but I'd only defend here in my country. You know, I'd never go and fight someone else's war. I I would want to, if the war came here, that's when I'd want to defend my country. That's personally how I see it. But I totally get the, you know, the understanding of as a defense force, we are there to help internationally as well. We are there to help countries that need help. Um, and that's not just in the sense of like guns and violence, just that's just in the sense of humanitarian help and providing them care and, you know, health care and food and, you know, um, rebuilding and things like that. So the defense force isn't just necessarily, um, yeah, there to shoot and, and be war. It, it, it is there to help and have international relations as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's how I kind of see 
the defense force now whereas i think for a very long time like you said go back to those kind of you know the warrior eras of armies and massive battalions and things like that they were there to defend and to take over uh and to um yeah to <laughs> to pillage and take what they can like that's you know that's the history of of, of armies and and what, what it was for and and war was is very much about dominating and getting what you want um you know i i look at war these days and i'm like why uh, and I think that's just the naivety in me and the sense of not really knowing why these wars are going on. Um, I think, you know, you see a lot of Afghanistan, uh, mostly in the media and what's happened there with the Taliban. And it's interesting with that, right? Because, I mean, the Taliban were obviously driven out and they were just fighting to get back to where they were. And now we kind of see them back in power and we're like, oh, no. But it's like they were there in the first place. Um, so, and I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but it's like, it was theirs all along kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting when it comes to armies and, you know, the Navy and Air Force, cause they, they do, they are three completely big different things and have different agendas. Um, but they are all about, you know, serving our country internationally. Yeah. I mean, it's called the defense force, not the attack force it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's in the name and as yeah. you said the, the concept of armed forces back in the day was probably more you know if you think of the the roman empire alexander mm. the great it was all about take this army let's see how much we can invade before we get our our asses kicked um true you brought up something interesting i think particularly afghanistan services a really clear in at the moment and over the last however many years in terms of mm. New Zealand's involvement internationally and uh, over the last couple of weeks I watched Netflix's recent documentary called uh, Turning Point 9-11 and the War on Terror and it was fascinating to get a better education of what happened in Afghanistan in the years that led up to 9-11 the decades that led up to it and what happened afterwards and understanding that in the, I think it was 70s, the 80s maybe, the Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan and America had obviously wanting to stop Soviet expansion had essentially supplied Afghanistan with a whole lot of weapons to say like drive drive, drive the Soviets out. out. Yeah. Um, America's the good guys not that I'm saying like that, that, that was the narrative at the time. Like we're helping these people defend their, their country. Then the Soviets did get driven out. But what happened was America had sort of left an imprint in Afghanistan and those anti, uh, anti Western ideologies, uh, for some good reason and some less good reasons. Obviously we don't have the time to go into the depth. Definitely recommend the documentary. Um, but the ideologies in that country against people that had come in and were involved in uh, Afghan politics and war happening in that country uh, turned its lens towards the uh, Americans. And then at some stage, like the Taliban came in as a way of kind of, I guess, cleaning up Afghanistan, like trying to have someone be more centrally in control. And on the one hand, you go, well, they sort of achieved that at the at the time, but their regime was so mm. autocratic. It was so yeah. uh, harsh, especially against all the, the liberal Western freedoms that we believe in now. Yeah, did some good, but obviously we're doing a lot of bad. And then over the next decades, Taliban got driven out, and as you say, have now come back in. And it raises the question of the involvement of defence force overseas, which is a whole massive massive debate that you know could have a whole podcast focused on For that sure. idea as a concept but watching this documentary and seeing american soldiers who had served in afghanistan talk about you know how they got into the defense force straight out of secondary school didn't really know what they were doing for their life were in afghanistan because they thought they were fighting a war for a specific reason and then getting there and realizing that there was no plan people didn't know what they were doing in afghanistan they were basically just then fighting to try and stay alive Mm. Uh, it was was incredible to hear these you know these soldiers break down in tears talking about ending up in afghanistan kind of realizing how futile it was to be there and of course new zealand uh had 
people fight in Afghanistan. I think yep. we lost 10, 10 New Zealand Defence Force members lost their lives in Af- Afghanistan. And it's still going on because obviously with what has happened in Afghanistan in the last few months, New Zealand Defence Force sent, uh, I believe, a plane to get New Zealand people out of there. And on the one hand, you go, at least what you've uh, espoused before, which I certainly don't disagree with, you know, would you fight to protect your country? Yes. Would you fight to be involved in another country's politics? No. But then all of a sudden, if they're in New Zealand, is in another country that you want to help. Yeah. Where does that, you know, where does yeah. that come into it? And obviously New Zealand's defense force is completely different to some of the like massive, massive international oh. defense forces. Uh, yeah. What I found, uh, and uh, these numbers obviously fluctuate a lot. What's that? There's approximately fifteen thousand active uh, New Zealand Defence Force um, members. That's obviously including Navy and Army and Air Force uh, at any given time. Now compare that to the outrageous numbers of, say, the United States. I know you you have some some stats there, but yeah, very quickly. And again, this is all this is all Wikipedia. Um, Total active military across the Army, U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force, Base Force, and Coast Guard. It's 1,347,000. And yep. then you add on the National Guard and the Army Reserve and the U.S. Navy Reserve. That's another 800,000. Just, like, unbelievable. And in terms of their military spending, the number that I came across was $778 billion U.S. dollars in 2020. Yep. It just yep. completely swamps anything that, like our whole concept of what a defense force is, is completely different to what America's concept of what a defense force is. And that's yeah. what makes that a, a really hard. Like, I, again, I was privileged enough to go to Turkey in 2015 for the Gallipoli uh, centenary commemorations with the New Zealand defense force and see that for the most part, they're just like pretty, no- pretty normal people that, you know, jokey and friendly and they're trained in what they do and the banter between like the navy people and the army people and the air force people and there there is that kind of new zealand chair at least that i experienced but i guess as defense force members they were not off the clock but it was it was part of a an exercise that was mostly commemorative rather than say you know yeah if you engage with them like in the middle of an, an exercise, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's so hard to to process our concept of, of the Defence Force versus internationally because I, I feel like for lots of New Zealanders, the, the thought of like someone that serves in the army, you'd go like, oh yeah, you probably don't do that much. Like we don't do that much fighting. Oh, you know, one thing that I found when I got my first uh, COVID vaccine the other, the other week was seeing that, you know, the army were involved in yeah, the kind were, of pro- yeah. pro- pro- progression. And I said to a friend, I was like, this is probably actually really big for these people because this is like a really significant part of history. And we need people to help this vaccination process go smoothly that aren't just nurses. And is this actually really, really significant for young, uh, defense force personnel? Whereas something like that, I'm sure if you told <laughs> Americans, they'd be like, "What? What? Yeah, that's what you're doing." Yeah, well, it's like the defense force are helping out with um, quarantine as well, security yep. quarantine and things like that. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, to go back to what you were talking about before, with you know how many the, these countries and how much personnel they've got and their spending and things, it's 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 you know it's you know the stereotypical boys and their toys, right? You know, it's they're just trying to show off and be prepared that if it goes down, this is what you're going to be up against, you know? Because, um, yeah, like you said, what, 15,000 15, for New Zealand and for our military spending, uh, it was in US billion as well. It was about just under 3 billion US dollars um, compared to their 778 US billion dollars. In 2020, US made up 39% of the total world's uh, spending on the military. So 39% of that money was just spent in the US just on military. But uh, in saying that, you know, the US haven't got the biggest military in the world. The biggest one is China with 2.2 million personnel and then India with 1.4 
million personnel. Obviously, these countries are big, you know, they, they do need these people, but it's amazing also, you know, the amount of money that they're spending. The US have the third highest personnel, yet they spend the most on their military. China in with the second, and then India in with third on their spending. And then you've got other countries like North Korea, Russia, and Pakistan coming up with, you know, really big armies. And then with spending, Russia, UK and Saudi Arabia as well. It's really funny. I was looking at the at all of the stats and things. UK, 59 billion US dollars. Um, yet they don't even, they haven't even popped up on my military personnel on, you know, being some of the biggest in the world. Yet they're spending all of this money on this stuff. I saw in the news the other day this um, big kind of international breakdown uh, that Australia is trying to get um, warheads um, and they had this big agreement with France that they were going to have this collaboration and you know spend millions of billions of dollars to get these warheads. And Australia have just decided to pull out of that negotiation, and now they're going nuclear with the US. And I look at things like that, and I'm like, <laughs> why kind of thing? Um, I, you know, I think nuclear in itself is just... We only have to look at our history and just think that it's just so dangerous, not just for a single country or anything like that, but for the rest of the world. And I think the bigger and bigger that these military operations get, we only have to look at China and North Korea and have a look at what they're parading and showing the rest of the world, yes, we have this ready to go, is is scary. But to be honest, I don't think World War... I think World War Three has been happening for years, just been under the radar. World War Four or whatever, it's not going to be all of these armies heading over to different countries. It's just going to be pressing a buttons, and that's the scary thing, you know. Um, and that's how we're going to defend defend our countries by pressing buttons and just letting these big things do the job for us. So it's it's scary, you know. Like there is part of me that's happy that all of these countries pulling out of the Middle East and you know, stopping all of this conflict, but then obviously the relations within those countries is not good for the people in themselves and, you know, the people that are having to put up with what's going on. Um, but yeah, it, it makes me just think of what are people doing behind the curtain uh, and yeah, where is this money going and what is it leading up to? That's that's what scares me with, with all of this. It's complicated, eh? I mean, with Afghanistan just being an example, for the most part, the the woke, intellectual, liberal mindset would be, cool, we're finally pulling out of Afghanistan, we should never have been there. And I say we as, you know, not yeah. meaning mm. us as a country. Um, and then, of course, Taliban come in and you, you hear all the headlines about, oh, well, women aren't allowed to re- return to school, yeah. they no longer have any rights. Mm. And you go, oh, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. You know, it's not... It's these really complicated situations, but defense force versus police, they just seem so uh, micro versus macro, right? Defense force stuff seems so big. Yeah. And when you compare yeah. that to uh, random police uh, breath-testing station to see if people were drink driving, it seems really justified. You're like, yeah, cool, domestically, uh, keeping check on that things are going fine. That seems really small when you compare it to the, the concept of armies and to the globe as a whole. Um, one thing that I I think there is a, a similarity between the two um, and what you were saying about your perspective on, I guess, signing up for, for that kind of uh, career or work is I think there's a difference between... Well, there is a difference between, but there's a, there's a gray, big gray area between selfishness and selflessness. Mm. And one thing I wrote down was, is it selfish to prioritize your own safety and well-being over others? And I believe that, no, I don't think that is selfish to prioritize your own safety and well-being. We speak about this with mental health, you know, prioritize yourself, yeah. look after yourself yeah. before others, check in on yourself first. So I don't think that is selfish, but is it selfless selfless to prioritize others safety over your own probably the answer is yes it is selfless mm. to go into a dangerous circumstance i'm talking about defense force i'm talking about police i'm talking about firefighters uh, other groups of public servants is it selfless to put the the lives and the safety of other people over the, over your own of course it is it doesn't mean that anyone that doesn't do it is selfish 
but those two truths can exist yeah. at the same time. So, yeah. And I think that's how I feel about defense force personnel and police personnel and firefighter personnel. You know, I can look at those, those people as individuals and be like, you're really, that is courageous. Thank you. you yeah, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. We are lucky as a society to have you to protect us and help us in times of need. Would I do that? Probably not. Mm. Am I the right person for that? Probably not. It doesn't make me any more self-minded than someone who signs up to be in the army to protect New Zealand or someone that signs up to be in the in the police to help keep communities safer. Does it mean that I can understand why people would do that? Not necessarily, but that's just the, the nature of things right and that's yeah. what i always found very fascinating about secondary school coming out of it those those uh early uni job fairs it's always defense force yeah yes yeah. we had them come to the, our high school yeah it's always the first group of people that are trying to i guess recruit and that was one question i wanted to ask you like is that ethical is it ethical for these big institutions that potentially 18 year olds don't actually quite understand what they're signing up for a life yeah. of yeah is it ethical for it to be so actively promoted and trying to recruit young people like should that be bad or is or is it mm. is that unfair are there are people that are 18 completely uh you know if i'm 18 and i decide i want to go to university is it completely biased for me to say that someone who's 18 can't decide yeah i want to become a police officer or yeah i want to join the navy just because that's the way that my brain works and that their brain works but then you see if there are young people that get involved in that line of work and then don't want to do it anymore is that because they were exploited at a young age mm. i feel really conflicted about that yeah 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 i mean for me i think it starts when we were even younger you know you hear and you see all the time oh when i'm older i want to be a, a, a firefighter or a, a police officer, you know? Like, I think there is, when you're a young kid, these glory on these, you know, public, you know, public service things that it's a great thing to do. But we don't really get told what that job is. I mean, firefighter, you know, you're fighting fires. Kids but, love firefighters, eh? Yeah, but that's, 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 that's dangerous. You know, like, that's, 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 a, that's scary. That's a big thing to do. And so I think when we're young, we really don't get taught what is really going on with all of these different things so like you said all of a sudden you get to 17 and 18 and you have the defense force turn up at your doorstep and be like have you thought about doing this and then you're like oh i mean yes but not like this but oh maybe this is what i want because i remember that you know the massive truck came to our uh high school um right in the middle of our basketball court actually and it set up and you know as a class actually during class we went in and you know got taught about army navy air force and things and i really considered it for a little bit before i considered doing um architecture and then obviously going on to theater um i was like yeah i'm gonna go to the army and that that's what i'm gonna do and i really considered it for a few months and then i was like no what am i doing that's this is the glory of it you know like like i it's my video games i love my video games i was like yeah this is what i want to do so yeah i think in the sense of your question the sense of like is it ethical i don't know if it's ethical but i mean it needs to be done yeah is it necessary yeah is it necessary yeah i think i think is it necessary yes is it ethical that's a hard question but i think it is necessary to kind of be like have you thought about have you thought about this have you actually thought about this as a as a pathway for for your life because i think what we've found out here there is many there is many pros but there is also cons but i think that is for any job yeah and for any path career that you choose there's always going to be pros and cons for everything i think it's just it, people really need to decide is this the life you really want to to lead and i think that just comes down with more information at a younger age yeah because that's with any job they sell you the dream that's just, yeah, exactly. that's just the case they, exactly. they sell you the best version of the job and then you realize that that's probably not the the nature of it um yeah. You know, look at us being artists, you know, the, the dream is to work for yourself, get paid lots of money for independent projects, work on your own time. And the reality may be something slightly different. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. I'm sure that there are, there are people who the lifestyle career of being a protector, you know, being in one of these services is exactly what they need. I mean, 
the kind of generic example is talking about people who need structure and need to be told exactly what to do at exactly yep. what time yep. they thrive under that sort of circumstance. True. And I think that's definitely, definitely the case. I'm sure there's people currently serving in police force and defense force and firefighters who were at a bit of a loss. They didn't really know what to do and actually working in something as rigid as those kind of mm. services is exactly what they need from a lifestyle. So true. Um, firefighting I think is fascinating because like you said the whole kids with the toys they love the flashing lights the big red trucks it it does sit kind of separately to policing and, and defence force in the sense that firefighters are kind of like people think that firefighters are, are sexy like the, the, the firefighter calendars the heroes yeah. uh, you know and, and the way that they're kind of glorified and when I say pop culture I also mean kind of like cartoon pop culture. Um, mm. In the young age, you're brought up to think that like firefighters are kind of the creme de la creme. And you know, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but as you say, like burning buildings are no less scary than what defense force and police force face. For some reason, it is just perceived differently. And if you think of the, the perception of police and how that has really taken a nosedive in the last few years, uh, you know, as far as I'm aware, the the views towards firefighters has not changed in such a negative way. Um, isn't it fascinating that they have, you know two mm. two very different uh, groups of, of protectors that have just such different public perception about them? And I think about being a firefighter, I'm like, you have to wear all those like heavy gear. I mean, no, look at nine eleven again. You know the amount of firefighters that. Yeah, died going up mm. the World Trade Centers uh, to try and save people. It's just as uh, you know, a lot more firefighters died in nine eleven than police officers or defense force. I'm not that I'm saying that that means no. anything, but there are certain situations and most situations where firefighters are called out and they're put in life threatening circumstances, and yet yeah. we sort of view them completely differently. Yeah, well, I, I think, but I mean, that is the difference. So when I think about when I think about it right now, firefighters aren't really. I mean, they're they're telling you what to do, but they're, all they're doing is is they're saving you. You know, like they really are saving you. You think of car crashes and things yeah. like that as well. They're getting people out of car crashes. They're getting people out of rubble and, you know, obviously putting out fires and things like they might be called firefighters, but they're not just dealing with fires. They are all about trying to save people from very tricky situations. And and that is that is all they are doing. Obviously making a perimeter or keeping people safe and things like that, but they're not really, they're not policing. They're not telling people what to do. They are really just there to go in and save your life or at least try to and, you know, help the situation of what is going on. And that's exactly, you know, why you said that's why more firefighters died um, in in the Twin Towers because they were going in there to try and save people. Police were there to, I think, just kind of, you know, obviously obviously some police officers did die but just to create a perimeter outside get people away you know get, get you know just figure out the situation send the firefighters in, and they'll go and see what's going on so yeah i mean firefighters they are here i mean all of the all of these all, all i'm not denoting from any of these defense workers they are all heroes in their own right but firefighters i feel like are the are the big heroes in the sense of their their um direction is to just save lives and prevent as much uh fatalities as possible one interesting statistic that i came across in you know the 20th commemoration of of 9-11 and considering the relationship of emergency workers to that event Thing that I didn't realize was, and this seems this seems like an outrageous statistic, but I did check it, and I'm sure it's true. Is did you know that 99% of the people in the World Trade Centers, both towers, mm-hmm. that were in the World Trade Centers below the point of impact of the planes, so anyone that was below the two entry points in either tower, 99% of those people survived. Only 1% of people in the World Trade Center below the point of impact died. So if 99% of the people that died in the World Trade Center were above the, at the point or above the point of impact. 
and so in comparison to that when you when you see that 415 of the 2977 victims that, that lost their lives were emergency workers you realize that 415 people died 343 of which were firefighters essentially serving the people below the point of impact yeah. of the and then the ratio of that to the I guess civilians is, is incredible and as yeah. you say firefighters are kind of putting their body on the line to to save people but there's something psychologically different about how we view them because they they are there to save you but they're not they kind of interact with non-human issues. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fires yes, yes. or, as you said, rubbles or yep. cars or... Whereas, I guess, police are interacting with people and defence forces are interacting with people internationally. Mm. And maybe that's enough. Maybe maybe that's ju- just it, that firefighters kind of don't have a person... Uh, a personnel opposition... Or, or yeah. people that, that they're dealing with, and we just see them kind of versus Mother Nature, in a sense, or or the world. But it, it's fascinating to me that that how we view them is just is just so different. Because in my head, I think police like problematic, firefighters, heroes, heroes. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? Not that I yeah. really think of them as as heroes generally. No, I don't but really I, like I understand. Word, but, but that kind of perception yep. of them i think it's even harder to become a, a firefighter in new zealand uh if you look at the the government website which i was looking at i was saying it's just impossible because it's so competitive and there aren't that many i think there's according to the 2018 census 2421 firefighters work in new zealand as well oh, as 11,000 volunteer firefighters so oh, well, shows, there you go. yeah there's shows, the volunteers um, yeah and yeah, in terms of what they they earn, I think trainee firefighters is forty three thousand a year. Uh, two years experience or more is fifty three to sixty four thousand. Station officers earn sixty four to eighty eight thousand. Um, mm. Is that a lot of money? Is that not a lot of money? Obviously, that depends on your life yeah. circumstances. Exactly. Uh, are you working in a cushy office job, earning ninety thousand dollars a year? Probably doesn't seem that much. Are you a struggling artist or a retail worker or a hospitality worker or are you unemployed? That seems like quite a lot of money. Um, but yeah, and, and this, this, the same question of why people choose that line of work to put themselves in circumstances that you kind of, you know... <laughs> in some ways, I feel like if you're becoming a firefighter, you should know what you're signing up for mm. more so than <laughs> Defence Force or police yep. personnel but but yep. maybe that's maybe that's really like an uneducated thing to say i don't know but it does fascinate me that the way that we view those three different groups are so different when mm. for the most part the the public service role that they provide is protection 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 yeah. of people whether it's you know domestically here in aotearoa against other people in Aotearoa or if it's uh, internationally they are they are all part of the same emergency services uh, protective services and yet we feel so differently about them how much of that is the way that they've been portrayed in the media you know would it be completely different if we met people lots and lots and lots of people working within these services probably yeah yeah, any any final thoughts yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, this has been really interesting, I think, as we've gotten to the end of this and kind of talked about firefighters more, it's kind of made me, yeah, kind of look at the outlook and, and how we do kind of perceive the rest of the defence force and defence workers and things like that. But, you know, I think it, it's it's fair to say that all of them have a different job, you know, all of them are doing completely different things in, in the sense of serving us uh, and and our safety and our protection. Um I think, you know, look, this isn't to to wrap it all up in a bow, but we are obviously, we have it very good here in New Zealand, you know, and I think we obviously don't have a lot of involvement in a a, a lot of things. And it only takes us to look at overseas media and see what's going on and look at these armies and and look at what's happening with the police and be like, ugh. But, uh, like I said, it's not to say that there's there's not problems here in New Zealand. I, I know there are, and it's definitely been viewed, and I and I see it. Um, but yeah, I think we obviously have to be very proud of where we are as a nation. Um, but it is, I am still very wary of 
uh, what is in store for our future in the sense of international relations because, yeah, like I said, it's not going to take a lot uh, to kind of tick things over and you've already seen this little bit in the sense of just trade amongst some countries as well. So, yeah, I think it'll be, I think we're definitely on the way, uh, right track uh, domestically I just think internationally, uh, it'll be interesting to watch what happens over the next few years. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to say is, as with all the topics we've we've spoken about, this is just our perspective and we can only speak from the, the lives that we've lived and how we feel as individuals while also being mindful of other people's experiences. Uh, but it, it's felt, this episode's felt a little different compared to, say, I don't know toxic masculinity or talking about death or sexuality where it doesn't feel like we were talking about in those episodes it didn't feel like we were speaking about other people's experiences whereas this time mm. I felt quite cautious speaking about uh people's career paths that I know very little about yeah of course um, as I said I don't know I don't think I know any firefighters I think I know a few people that uh uh, employed by the police and I know I have known people in the past that are involved in the defence force um, this is all subjective this is just our opinions we hope we haven't uh, offended anyone within this podcast or spoken from a, a position that's very closed minded as with any topic that we talk about on the Bros and Brews podcast we try and be open minded and see both sides or, or all sides of any situation so yeah just to cap things off at the end that's the last thing that i want to say is is we are only speaking from our perspectives and our lived experiences uh and there's obviously going to be cases where where that is not true of other people's experiences but hopefully we've been uh, open-minded in talking about about all of these um all of these pr- protective services that as i say fundamentally we are really lucky to have in this country if all of a sudden you woke up tomorrow and there was no police force and there were no firefighters and there were no defense force, like we would be buggered. We, we would be out. <laughs> yeah. But no, nah, you're so right. And yeah, I, I totally hear you on all those points and, and, and definitely uh, think the same as well. Um, and yeah, as always, if you have anything to say, any comments you want to get in context about, about something or uh, if, if, if this episode's made you think further about something um do contact us um i mean look slide into our dms on instagram if you want we are also on facebook as well if you want to send us a facebook message um so yeah don't be afraid to get in contact with us if you do have something to say um otherwise as always we hope you enjoy the content um and we look forward to you hearing the next one yeah for sure the next one that we'll be doing in in some weeks time uh, we'll be looking at, at health workers, uh, you know, the people working in, in hospitals, uh, obviously particularly uh, topical at the moment with the last few years of the COVID pandemic, talking about nurses and paramedics, all of those wonderful people. Um, but yeah, for today, we should just close off by saying thank you to, to our protective services, people that look after us um and i'm interested to see how the discussion moves into healthcare workers the next time we come back uh with this the the public service series uh thanks for today man it's been really interesting thought-provoking discussion Mm -hmm. which has probably left more questions than answers (laughs) but it has been nice to come on and talk about uh yeah protective services and and their role within society and something that we should constantly be be considering in life generally i guess for sure for sure and that's just said we can have a a certain mindset and a certain you know look on something so as always that's what we're trying to do here on the podcast is just trying to open that up a little bit more so thank you thank you man and thank you to our audience for listening as matt said any comments any thoughts please write in we'd love to hear your perspectives on today's topic uh but other than that we'll leave it here matt all that's left to be said is we will see you next time peace